like to have an added word of prayer. Father in heaven, we trust that you can guide and you can lead in each one of our lives. That's why we're here today. So Lord, as we open up your word, we recognize that you are the author of wisdom. You are the one who provides wisdom to even understand your words. So Lord, we ask you for that wisdom. We ask you for that guidance. Guide us as we take a deeper look at your word and reflect on how it relates to our lives today. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a question that was given in a poll to a number of Americans. The question was, does God exist? And it was a Gallup poll back in May of 2011, and the results of that poll, roughly 1,018 American adults were participating in that, that, that result, that questionnaire. They were asked the question, do you believe in God? And 92% of them said yes. That's encouraging. I've heard for years that, you know, 50% of some of our populations aren't even Christian anymore and all of this. And when I would do evangelistic meetings in different places, I'd encounter quite a few unchurched individuals, and I'd be like, wow. So this, when I first read it, I thought, that's good. But as it, this survey began to ask more follow-up questions, that 92% began to drop. And some of those questions are, Did you believe, do you believe he's the all-knowing, all-powerful ruler of the world? creator of the universe, ruler of the world. And it dropped down to below 80%. And then among young people, it dropped about 10% lower than that, about set to the 70% mark. And so the conclusion of the Gallup poll was between 10 and 30% of our population do not believe in the God of the Bible at all. Now, when I look at things like that, I think, well, that's a sample group. And yeah, statistically, it was a valid sample group. But that's not always the case everywhere. In fact, it could be a better scenario in some places or even a worse scenario in some places, could it? But as I thought to myself about that one, I thought, okay, that's population in general. What about Christians? Surely Christians believe in the creator God of the Bible? Well, this one in Barna, he surveyed 1,871 Christians. They were asked about their perceptions of God. 78% said that God is the all-powerful, all-knowing creator of the universe who rules the world today. The remaining 22% didn't believe that. They believed that maybe God is everyone or God is some realization of some human potential we're going to reach at some point. 22%. So that, well, let's do a little math there. If you have the general population, you add it to the Christians, and you've got a good idea there of 10 to 30 percent that don't believe in the creator God that here we are on Sabbath morning worshiping. And I thought, as I thought about those numbers, I thought to myself, how could you ever become one of those statistics? Fall into that category. And I'm going to tell you part of my story today as to how I became one of those statistics. And no, I'm not talking about um, like some pastors do. They're taking a year off to become an atheist for a little bit of time or something like that. That's foolishness. I'm talking about March of 1984. This little Bible was given to me by my mother. We weren't practicing Christians. I would go to church every week. I would hear the stories about Jesus. I would come into that congregation singing Jesus loves me and I'd leave there 
knowing some of the verses of Psalm 23, especially if I go through the valley of the shadow of death, you were with me, that type of thing. I, I had some knowledge, but when I would go home, there was fighting at home. And then when I would eventually made a move, there was fighting at school. And so this little Bible there, small print, first of all, and as a kid, I, I had a hard time understanding all the language, but I got to the point where this little Bible got put away. And one of the main reasons why it got put away was because I came to church. It was because I came to church. And I encountered what I thought were safe people who now, not only did I have fighting at home and fighting at the school, but now I got to the church and some of those very individuals were now picking fights with me in my, er especially my my late adolescent years into my early teens, and I just said to myself, if that's the case, that this God of the Bible cannot be made real in their lives, and I didn't necessarily word it exactly that way, but in my little mind, it was, if that's the way it's going to be, then I just, I'm not sure about that anymore. Now, maybe some of you can relate to that, maybe some of you cannot. You might now get a window into my soul as far as why I want to make our young people feel welcome. Not just because I have a family. But that little Bible, that little book, sat there for years until finally some incidents took place where I said, maybe, maybe this God is someone I want to have as part of my life. And so I'm going to share with you some of the things in my journey that led me to that conclusion. Some of the things are things I'm going to throw in for our FBI young people. But altogether, I want this sermon to be of one main message. And that is that if we take a deeper look, do we truly believe? Some of you may be visiting here. Maybe coming back and getting, checking out the church again. Maybe, maybe you're not even a member of this church and, and you want some evidence that says, yes, I, I see that the, this God does exist and this God is real and that this God can make a difference in my life. Well, then you've come today and I will provide hopefully some of those answers, not from me, but from the word of God. And then maybe some of you are brushing shoulders with people who are asking questions. I mean, because if 10 to 30% are not believing in the creator, the God of the Bible, you're gonna brush up to them sometime or another and so I hope that you leave here with some evidence, not proof, but evidence that says God does exist, and this is why. And then there are some of us, I use the word us because it can happen to me too, who here we come week after week, we hear the stories, we, give the, we hear the children's stories, we hear the sermons, we hear the scriptures, we sing the songs, and it becomes kind of same old, same old, to the point where it doesn't affect our daily lives and and quite frankly, in a way, it could feel like we're living a fairy tale. I'm challenging all three of the groups. I'm challenging myself and saying, let's take a deeper look and see that God does exist. He is real in our lives. Because when I was that young person there, something still hung on to me. Something hung on. And what I found later in the Bible is this. In John chapter 1, it says, that was the true light. Speaking of Jesus which gives light to every man coming into the world. Even though I had checked out, even though I had put that little book aside, and even though I had put aside church and put aside, frankly, for a number of years, God in general, there was still this desire inside. Something was missing. 
read later on in his, in his education book by Ellen White, as through Christ every human being has life, so also through him every soul receives some ray of divine light. I had some ray of divine light, something shining in my life that said, Lord, I want it more. But I wasn't ready yet. Not only intellectual, but spiritual power, a perception of right, a desire for goodness exists in every heart. Deep down, I wanted that goodness, even though I had all of these obstacles standing in my way. And so there I was. This is a Nebraska sunset, by the way. This isn't an Oregon sunset. There I was in southern Oregon. I didn't take a lot of pictures back then, especially not digital pictures. But there I was, at, standing out there behind my mom's house. And I'd watch the sun set or the sun rise or or sometimes I'd be out late at night with my group of friends getting into all kinds of trouble. And, but there I would be looking up at the stars and something would just stir within me that said, why do you feel so refreshed by the sunrise? Why do you feel so refreshed by that sunset? Why do you feel drawn as you look at the stars to something greater than yourself? Those questions began to kind of go through my mind, and especially my late teen years, as my group got more and more into a weird planning mode that was way off from the author of life. And so as I think now of, na of evidence, I think of nature, especially that one that spoke loudly to me. This is part of a whole evangelistic series I was developing, but I'm going to look at nature with you, I'm going to look at Jesus with you, I'm going to look at changed lives, and as we put that trio together, that's that's the main reason why I'm here today. Those three lines of evidence. We could look at the goodness, the government, how the fact that we like to name everything as human beings. Where did that come from? We could look at witnesses to the fact that God exists. People heard his voice. But these three lines of evidence were the ones that spoke clearly to me as a late teen and as a young adult. And so, yeah, you could go ahead and look at our bodies. I remember as a, as a high schooler sitting there in science class, and they would... <laughs> They would talk about this primordial soup. And all I would do is look at my hand and think, you see how complex that is? There's got to be something more. Now, I'm not very good at science. My wife will tell you that. Uh, I have to rely on others for that wisdom. She's one of them. She's taken all kinds of science classes, and she's very good at knowing what that field says and yet adhering to the biblical uh, creation account. But I'm not very, I was never very good at it, but I could at least put the basics there and say, you know what, there's something to it. There's something to the fact that I'm as complicated as, as I can see just in the cell, just my hands. I mean, look at all those little pieces put together and make, just make my skin. And not only that, you find later on I learned about how things are so complex in the body, your eyes, your organs, your brain. I mean, just if one part just is not functioning well, it just affects the whole thing. And you get down to the cellular level, and it's just like that as well. Why are we so complex? But what I saw in my hand, as I later on discovered, was maybe this is for you to, to consider, that we are beyond explanation, really. We don't even have all the answers when it comes to the human body. We try, we practice, we try to learn more. But then as I look beyond myself into nature, I remember as... As a, as a teen walking home from school, and I'd get into a fight or two every once in a while on the way home, but sometimes when there wasn't none of that going on, I would see just a, a leaf that had fallen to the ground. I'd pick it up, and I'd hold it up, and I'd look through that thing, 
just like you can see this, this star flower there. I mean, they make oil and stuff out of this, and this thing goes way down deep and puts this beautiful flower. I'd, I'd look at the flowers. I'd look at the leaves, and I'd say, wow, look at that. Look at all those puzzle pieces. You know? It's got to be something more. But wasn't ready yet for it because I had some bad memories. And then I would go ahead and I'd think about our world and how we have so many wonderful things. We have the perfect location. I, I would just think about different things every once in a while. And then what really was a clincher for me was at night, this peaceful feeling when I look up at the sky and see all these stars. And there in southern Oregon, it wasn't quite as clear night sky as I experienced in Nebraska and other places. But I remember looking up and seeing this milky-like substance up in the sky and learning in, later on in science class that that's like the Milky, we were part of the Milky Way galaxy, this, this, this wonderful space, uh, this astro astronomical term that we call the galaxy. And this, look at this galaxy here. There's all kinds of galaxies out there. If you need some evidence, just go on the internet and Google this stuff. I didn't know all this back then, but I'd look up and I'd see the skies and think, wow, amazing. They probably all got planets around them too, you know. But the Andromeda galaxy, you ever take a look at this thing? This thing, as I thought about it, I looked at this picture, I said, what is in the middle of this thing? You know, I, I, I can kind of make out some of the things there, but what is there, right there in the middle of this thing? Because, you know, you would see pictures like, you see pictures like this and you, wanna, you wonder, well, it looks something like this. This is one artist's description of it. Isn't that amazing? You know what's more amazing about it? This artist shows a view across that disk of young blue stars encircling a supermassive black hole, they believe. And I know some people are arguing against the black hole theory now. But anyway, this here is the Andromeda galaxy in the middle of there. And what, what are those red and blues? The region around the black hole is barely visible. The background stars are the typical older red stars. And then you find these other ones there as well. And so that's what's in the middle of there. And spectroscopic observation by the Hubble telescope says that the blue light consisting of more than 400 stars that formed in a burst of activity years ago is right there. All those blues are those. The stars are tightly packed in a disk, only a light year across, only a light year across. I mean, Under the black hole's gravitational grip, guess how fast the stars are? It's right up there on the screen. 2.2 million miles an hour, those stars are going. And yet, you say, well, there's a lot of space between them, right? But yet they don't collide, yet they have these, these orbits. A lot of us, a lot of those astronomers, at least ones I read about in class, believe that there could be planets circling these stars. I mean, this is a vast amount of territory, a vast, amazing galaxy. And so that one picture, which I never saw as a teen, but later on I, I, I validated the fact that the stars really were speaking to me. The complexity out there is amazing. So I look at nature. I look at my human body. I look at things around me. But why did I have that feeling that there was something more? See, it's just a feeling, yeah? But it kept being constant like a voice speaking to me and saying, I am real. Are you listening? Well, it was really what was happening was what the Bible describes. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. Mm. Day into day utter speech. Night into night showeth, or showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their lying is gone out through all the earth. Their words to the end of the world, their words to the end 
of the world. Does God speak to everybody in this world? Does he need that little book? Obviously, he was speaking to me without that little book. You've got friends, you've got family, maybe yourself. God is speaking to you in a whole lot more ways than listening to me today or reading that book. He is speaking and trying to get your attention because he has called you by name. Before he even made all of that, he knew your name. And so it says he set a tabernacle for the sun. And it comes up every day. So that's why I enjoyed the sunrises and the sunsets. That's why deep down inside I wish there was more. Because there that sun was coming up and going down. The beautiful things in the sky like a painting saying, Murray, there is hope for you. But yet, I remember in high school comparing the Bible to Homer and these other things, and I concluded, again, I ignored all of these beautiful things and said, it's still a fairy tale. I'm not going to tell you how I became a Christian this time. I'm going to go ahead and put a teaser out for a little future sermon, okay? I'll tell you more about that later on. And now I'm going to our FBI slide. All right. So FBI agents, faithful Bible investigators, this is your scripture to mark down on your sheet. And I'm going to read it from my Bible so that it will give you time to mark it down on your sheet. All you have to do is mark down that reference to complete your sheet. All right, Romans chapter 1, verse 20. And adults, I don't always like having all the scriptures up on the screen for you so that you actually are required to open up that Bible every once in a while too. Romans chapter 1, verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, some say his Godhead, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. Mankind is without excuse. God is speaking. And that's what he was doing with, with me. If I would have died with just those indicators, I would have been without excuse. Now, God would have taken into account all kinds of things that had happened, and probably where my heart was really searching. But the Bible says we see things all around us in nature. It's a book. It's speaking to us. We are without excuse. I know I'm not saying God's in uh, everything. And no, I'm not saying that somehow uh, those weird views of God at the beginning are true. I'm saying that God is speaking to us through nature. It shows us that there is a creator. And then the next piece, Jesus. I believed for years that he was part of that fairy tale. Who knows if he really even existed, I would say. But since then, I've come across some evidence. Those who knew him wrote down accounts. And you've got them right there in your hands, Bibles, or in your, your tablets. And then, not only that, but people witnessed that he actually died at the cross. You find in John 19, the eyewitness to these things has presented an accurate report. He saw it himself, is telling the truth so that you also will believe. Not only was John there, but we had other, at least two other witnesses there, the two Marys, right? So they saw that Jesus died. And then I said, okay, fine, we have evidence that he's dead. But is there evidence that he's alive? And the truth is, yes, there is evidence that he is alive. That it's not just some story in a storybook. He truly lived, he truly died, and many witnesses said that he was alive after he died. 
You can read the scripture in 1 Corinthians 15. You got Cephas, you got the 12, that's 13. You got 500 at one time. Then you got James. And then lastly, Paul says, I've seen it. Over 500 witnesses said that Jesus rose from the dead. How many does it take to believe that? If one of us died, and we went through the whole death certificate, everything like that, and then all of a sudden we started breathing again, how many people would it take to verify that you're alive? Your own voice, for one. But then, once one other person sees you, it's a done deal, isn't it? I mean, you could read it in the paper that so-and-so died, and next thing you know, you say, oh, wait a minute, they're having an article in here that says that they actually were revived in our life. Whoa. And if you chose not to believe, you'd go see the person, wouldn't you, if they were your friend or whatever. You would validate it. That's what Thomas did with Jesus. So 500 witnesses that Jesus is alive, but what about the ones outside of the Bible? Any evidence that Jesus ever existed from outside the Bible? Because Christians can say that all they want. But what about outside of the Bible? Well, lots of history tells us that Jesus was a real person. Uh, Tacitus, we find he is a historian first century. You find him talking about Christus. Okay? Nero, after Rome burned, he blames it on the Christians. And it says, uh, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations called Christians by the populace. Christus, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilatus, a most mischievous superstition, thus checked for the moment, again broke out, not only in Judea, the first source of evil, but even in Rome. Why did it break out again? Because these people truly believed that Jesus was risen. And he goes on, and he, he finishes that off with saying this is pretty much everything hideous and all that finds its way into Rome eventually. But there he is, saying that Jesus was a real person, that he did die, that his belief system continued on beyond his death. Lucian, who was a satirist, he kind of made fun of Christians, and part of it, it's kind of interesting to read, but he says, the Christians you know worship a man to this day, the distinguished personage who introduced their novel rites was crucified on that account. Novel rites, crucified on that account. Hmm. They worship the crucified sage and live after his laws. So even after his death, they're still living after his, te his, after his teachings, following his teachings. The result is, they despise all worldly goods, regarding them merely as common property. Same type of term we find in the book of Acts, where they're all things common. And then, Barsepian, we find, here's a pagan writer, who says, in essence, Jesus lived on in the teaching. The wise king didn't die for good, the last sentence there, he lived on in the teaching which he had given. Now, we, don't, we know that he's not believing in Jesus, but he's recognizing that he existed, that he had a teaching, that his disciples adhered to that teaching. And, of course, he believes in polytheism, not a Christian, but he's testifying. And Josephus, people don't like his writings sometimes because they think, well, one source makes it, makes it way too abundantly clear that it was a skewed source. For, there's two sources for G Josephus' writings. One of them is the Arabic, and that's usually what people trust the most. And he says this, Jesus' conduct was good, he was known to be virtuous. Okay, so whatever everybody else said about Jesus, this guy, a Jewish historian, says he was virtuous. Many people from among the Jews and other nations became his disciples. 
Pilate condemned to be crucified, and those who had become his disciples did not abandon his discipleship. They reported that he had appeared to them three days after his crucifixion. So the reports are all out. He was perhaps the Messiah concerning whom the prophets had recounted wonders. He's questioning. He throws that out there at the end. The other version says, could this be the Messiah? And so Josephus comes along. We find the Talmud is one other thing that talks about this. They talk about on the eve of the Passover that they hang Yeshu, or Jesus, and this announcer goes forth, and we know from the Bible that that didn't necessarily take place. It says that he's going to be stoned because he practiced sorcery, enticed and led Israel astray. Anyone who knows anything, come, plead on his behalf. But having not found anything in his favor, they hanged him on the eve of the Passover. So we have these historical items that the Bible talks about validated. So what is my conclusion? History testifies that Jesus really did live and die. Why is this evidence? Simple. Let's go to a picture. This is the equation. We find in the book of John that Jesus claims equality with God. He says that I and the Father are one. He talks about all this, and he even says, before Abraham was, I am. So here's the evidence. If Jesus is a virtuous man, according to historical records, and he makes a claim like that, either he's crazy and the historical records are wrong, or his claim is true. If his claim is true, and I believe it is, then he is God. Since God existed in history, evidence proves that he came into history, then that means God exists. Jesus is God. He was a live historical person. That means God exists. So in Jesus himself, you find the ultimate evidence. But for me, that, wasn't, that really wasn't something I had a whole lot of knowledge about back in those days. It's something I know now. I share with you. Maybe you're going to use it, and, and it'll help your faith more now. It's helped mine. But the last one is the most important to me because it affected me personally. Change lives. We have record after record, Roman soldiers who died out on the ice naked because they truly believed that Jesus had died and had risen and had taken residence in their lives for the Holy Spirit. And so these people would go to their deaths. Soldiers who said, surely this was the Son of God. Soldiers who eventually come along and, and are killed for that belief. Roman soldiers, we find the, the Christians dying as martyrs in the Colosseums. People don't, didn't want to admit this, but we do have historical records that show it did happen. People giving up their lives for this person they truly believed is alive. And then medieval Christians, we can go through that period of time, how millions, by some estimates, gave up their lives for that word of God you have in your hands, but also deep down inside, they chose to believe in Jesus and his teachings rather than go along with the laws of the land. And so we find them dying there. And even today, our lives have been changed or touched in some way or we wouldn't be opening up that book on a regular basis. And so for me, all I knew is what I saw in nature because I had set aside this book. For me, I wasn't coming to a place like this for answers. And for me, what happened was people from a place like this came to me. My grandfather. Years and years of prayer. Years and years of handing out literature. Finally, in 1998, 
he hands a brochure, says something about Titanic on it from Dwight Nelson, and he hands it to my twin brother, who, by the way, is a pastor too. <laughs> He's in Dakota Conference. But hands it to my twin brother. And meanwhile, I'm locked up for all those things in my teen years. And he sends me these sermons. My brother sends me these sermons about a forever friend. And by the time it reaches me, I've been opening up the Bible. I've been reading it. I've, I've prayed a prayer for God to be part of my life. And I'll give you more details later. And so then I come out to that church building finally after years of not coming there. Different church, actually. But there is my grandfather. There's my twin brother. There's my dad. And it wouldn't matter who else's lives had been changed. But the fact is, is that now God had changed my life. And so, to me, I had taken a deeper look. It took some quiet time in the stillness in a confined situation to do it. But I sat down and found out that that was not a fairy tale. That was something that could change. This book was something that could change my life. And I still have it to this day. And so it's my goal to keep taking a deeper look at that. It's my goal to encourage all of us to keep doing that. So that when we come to the end of our lives or we come to the point where we're contemplating things, we'll say, am I truly believing something that's true? Have I given it a chance? So if you're coming today looking for evidence, this is just the beginning. If you're coming today saying, I need something for my friends and family, I hope this is just the beginning of what you could take and share. But ultimately, it's your changed life that makes the difference, that takes the book and makes it not something dusty and old, but takes it and makes it something real. And so the high school fairy tale of mine became a reality. And my conclusion is if we do not reveal him, then we conceal him. Look at this quotation. Our standing before God depends not upon the amount of light we have received, but upon the use we make of what we have. Are we using it? Thus, even the heathen who choose the right as far as they can distinguish it are in a more favorable condition than are those who have had great light and profess to serve God, but who disregard the light and by their daily life contradict their profession. We have the ability within our own lives, changed lives, to provide the largest body of evidence that the Bible is not a fairy tale, that it is a true story. And so, we owe it to take a deeper look. The living truths will be lived out in our lives in such a way that those around us will know that they are not a fairy tale. So is God real to you? That's, yeah, you read the Bible? Yeah, he's real to me. But is he real through you, through me, to those around us? There's a song that was written. Some of you might know Matt Meinicus, and we'll play it in a moment here. Matt Meinicus if you go to Lightbearer's website, Ty Gibson and them, he, he travels and does concerts for them and other places as well. He took the words of this song, Deeper Look. Nicholas Zork wrote the words, and he took his guitar, and he, I'm not sure who all composed the tune and all that, but he put it together in a beautiful song that says, are we just going through the motions of every day, or are we taking a deeper look? And those stories are making a difference in our lives and in those around us. So I'm going to ask that we play that song, and as you see the words on the screen, feel free to contemplate where you are at with the Lord.
taken a few moments to look a little bit deeper as to why not only could you exist, but also how you could exist in our lives. Those who are searching for answers to those questions today, I pray that they will keep searching, keep looking deeper, and find their answer in you. Lord, for those of us who have friends and family who need answers around us, help us to take some of these lessons and share it with those who are questioning so that they too can have a reason for the faith that we have in us. They can have a reason to believe. And Lord, for all of us, help us to take a deeper look in the mirror and say, Lord, are you shining through me so that people won't think, are you shining through me so that they won't have any excuse to think that you are a fairy tale? Help us to show that you are a true story. Help us to take a deeper look of our lives and have you shine through us. We pray in Jesus' name.